love, your real presence to those around us, God. May we be agents of peace in the midst of a culture that is divided. May we be agents of healing in a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So glad you joined us today. My name's Nathan. This is Emmaus Church Community, and this is a strange world that we're living in, but we're continuing to ask for the grace that we need from God to be faithful as the church. And so I'm grateful that you've gathered with us today. And my prayer is that this gathering will be a place in your life, whether you're here or at home, whether your home is chaotic or peaceful, um, where you can experience the presence of God. And may you know that there is a community that we have built together for 15 years, and we are continuing to want to share life together, discover Jesus together, and restore all things together. So I'm glad uh, to be here a part of this morning with you, and I pray and have been praying that this would be a powerful experience for each of us. Here's a general question to begin today. Do you feel better than you did before COVID? Do you feel better than you did before COVID? Here is a, uh, here's four practical, specific things that, I'm, that I mean by that. Do you feel more or less anxious than you did, say, in February? If you were to fill out, you know, maybe you're taking notes. Do you feel more or less worried than you did in February? Secondly, do you feel that your days are characterized by more or less joy as a rule? Typical day. Characterized by more or less joy than in February. Do you feel closer or farther from God than you did in February? And finally, do you feel closer or farther from community than you did in February? In other words, do you feel more supported or do you feel more lonely? Uh, While some I know are doing really well during this season, people have shared with me almost with a sense of embarrassment that actually there's some things about this season that have been incredibly wonderful for them. And In other words, some have just been almost rejoicing about the lack, the change in the sort of frantic pace of going from, you know, sports event to sports event to sports event every night um, with their kids. Many of us, however, are feeling the negative effects of 150 days of what has now become this new normal kind of experience for many of us. What kinds of negative effects am I referring to? Well, there's all kinds, as you know. Let me briefly mention two because I don't want to dwell on these things. But one of them is anxiety and worry. Um, Text messages to a federal disaster distress hotline increased from March to April of this year by more than 1,000%. This is a hotline that's run by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And they reported over 20,000 texts in one month in April 2020, as compared to less than 2,000 texts the same month the year before. That is a text every 13 minutes around the clock for a month because we're not doing too well, okay? (laughs) right? We're not feeling better than we were in February by and large. We're distressed, and then often we try to manage our anxiety, and the way most of us will try to manage our anxiety is with some kind of substance, whether it's chemical or otherwise, which never really addresses the core issue. It just addresses the symptoms of the anxiety, right? U.S. sales of alcoholic beverages rose 55% in the week ending March 21st, which was when everything kind of crashed. 
over the pre- previous week. According to the research firm Nielsen, Nielsen also said that online sales were up 243% week over week, which is amazing. So one common effect uh, of the virus and the subsequent quarantine is anxiety and worry. Almost anywhere you go, that's what, what folks are pointing to. There's a second effect I'd point out, and that is loneliness. Loneliness is one of the effects of this new normal that's taken hold over the last 150 days. So many of our social and relational contexts have been canceled. They've been severely limited, including the way we work, the way we play, the way we worship. Our connections with our colleagues, with our teammates, with our church community has been restricted. Some ways fundamentally eliminated. So generally speaking, we're more stressed, meaning we're more anxious and worried, and we're more alone. We're more anxious and we're more alone, and that is a terrible combination. It is not good. It is not healthy. So look at this list of prayer requests that came into our church office over a four-day period in July. Pulled out all the identifying information. 22 prayer requests in four days. Typically, we get prayer requests for issues like physical health and challenges, sometimes for the need for provision. Uh, It's also common to get prayer requests about relational challenges, marriages that are struggling. But look at the requests for prayer in this list that could fall under the heading of emotional health or mental health. We'll highlight them in yellow here for a second. Feel strained, feel overwhelmed, I'm grieving, suicidal thoughts, kids forced to stay home, college kids, empty campus, still struggling, depression, struggling, homesick, overwhelmed. What I'd like to do today, and for the next three Sundays, is teach on some very basic biblical truths. Many of us know them. These are truths of which many of us need to just be reminded. I think we're going to put the Acts series on hold until later in the fall. And I'm going to dive in for four weeks just to remind us of some basic biblical truths. We could get into the details of our specific situations, and eventually we need to get into the details. The invitation is ultimately to push these basic biblical truths way into the unique details of your life because you need a spirituality that makes a difference in your life. So ultimately you need Um, these truths to reach the details of your life, very specific things. In order to have a spirituality that matters, it's got to affect your details, right? But in this Sunday morning format, I'm just going to remind us of the big picture realities and then hope that you and I will start there with these big picture realities as we figure out how to navigate the uncertainties and the fear and the frustration and the disappointments. In other words, all of the changes and chances of this season of our lives. So let's talk about two big basic um, truths this morning, two big basic biblical uh, truths. Here's the first. Ready? Isolation is bad. Isolation is bad. I don't mean it is bad in the sense that it's morally wrong. I mean that it's not healthy. It is not the way we were meant to experience life. And where do you get this idea? Well, we get it all through Scripture, but we get it for the first time in Genesis chapter 2. It's the creation story in the Bible. Just a couple of pages into the story, we read, the, we read this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, you probably have heard this quoted at weddings. 
It's like a statement sort of legitimizing or supporting the goodness of marriage. It's commonly seen as being, uh, as referring to Adam and Eve, the human parents, the parents of the human race. But this statement is much more fundamental than that. It's much more basic even than that. It is a reality statement about all of humanity. The context of the statement is the creation story of the world, of all that is. And the point of the Genesis story is not to provide answers to specific scientific questions. The point of the Genesis story is much, much more basic, fundamental, profound than that. It is to answer questions like, who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? And so within this story itself, Adam, which is the man, is naming the animals, which is about distinction and purpose within the context of creation. And then a tension arises because there is no suitable helper found for the man. Now the root of the word that's translated helper in the original language means to surround in order to protect and aid. To surround in order to protect and aid. There's no one to help the man. There's no one to protect and surround the man. The statement being made here is not really about the male person. It's about the human race. It applies, of course, but fundamentally it's about the human race. So we hear it is not good for the man to be alone at a wedding, and we think, well, good for him because he's got a wife and they're about to get married, and that's what. But the deeper message in Genesis chapter 2 is probably better captured by it is not good for the mankind to be alone. Or it is not good for human beings to be alone. The distinction that's being made in the creation story is between the animals and the humans. It is the humans that are created in the image of God. It is into humanity that God breathes and gives a soul. This is the distinction between humans and animals. The mankind and the humankind. And the point is that it is not good for the mankind to be alone. It is not good. Which is not to say that it's morally wrong and this is not a statement about being single or married. It is deeper than that. It is a statement about how we were created. We were created by a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is a statement about what we were created for, which is relationship with God and with others. So in the Genesis story, God says it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And the bottom line is that we were not created to live in isolation. We were built to need one another. The fact that you and I need help is not a sign of weakness. It is by design. Okay, it's baked into the origin of humanity. We were made to surround and aid and protect one another. Of course we're feeling less healthy than we were in February, right? There's no surprise that we're more anxious now than we were in February. It's no wonder that we feel more frustrated, our culture's more divided than we were in February. Because for the last 150 days, the dominant human movement has been to isolate. It's been to distance. We have literally built a cultural norm on the value of being apart, not together. On distancing from one another, on on, on moving away, not on surrounding one another. It's not healthy because it's not the way we were made. It's not good for us. This This is not a political statement. Okay? This is not a public health statement. It's not what I'm making here. I'm making a theological statement. I'm making an anthropological statement. 
Okay? I'm talking about how we were created and what we were created for. And what I'm saying very plainly is this. Isolation is bad. It is not good. It is not healthy. This is not how we soar. This is how we crash. Okay? This is, this is why the little briquette rolls off the pile in the Weber and burns out while the rest is just heating up. Because you were meant to be alone, right? This is why solitary confinement, unless it is contained within certain limits, is a human rights violation. Okay? This is why armies divide first and then they conquer. This is why your child's emotional withdrawal is a legitimate reason for you to be concerned. Because we were not made for isolation. We were not made to be alone. This is true generally, and you can go ahead and personalize this. You were not made to be alone. It's not good for you. It's not the way you were made. I'm just reminding you of the basics this morning. That's all I'm doing. I'm just pointing out a couple of the major worldview themes in Scripture. First, isolation is bad. Second, big Bible basic. God is good. God is good. Track with me here through a few things, a few steps. A, God is good. David says, Psalm 119, he's praying. He says, you are good and what you do is good. The writer of Chronicles says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercies endure forever. The prophet Nahum says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Note this important detail. God does good because God is good. Because God's character is good, goodness comes from him. That's A, God is good. B, so we could say that God's motivation is good. His motivation is always good. Goodness is why God does what God does. What is God's motivation for creation? Why does God create? Because he's good. The only way to improve on a great thing is to share it. God creates out of God's goodness. What's God's motivation for calling a people to himself through Abraham? His goodness. He does that because he's good. What's God's motivation for freeing his people from slavery? His goodness. That's why he does it. Because God's good. Goodness is his motivation. What's God's motivation for giving the Ten Commandments? For saying, entering into the sphere of ethics and saying, you should do this and you don't do this. Because he's good. That's his motivation. All of God's acts through history, all that God has revealed to humanity, it's all motivated by God's goodness. So A, God is good. B, God's motivation is good. Which brings us to this, C, this is the pinnacle of God's demonstration and proclamation of goodness. It is the incarnation. It's the incarnation. In other words, the breakthrough moment of God's declaration and demonstration of his goodness is when God comes into the world as a human being born of the Virgin Mary. We're talking about Jesus who came to live as one of us in the flesh, right, God physically here. The Apostle John in his first letter to the churches, he writes this. We proclaim to you the one who has existed from the beginning. Whom we saw with our own eyes and we heard with our own ears. 
We've heard and we've seen. We've touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. John is declaring the foundation of the Christian faith, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be with us in the world, that God did not remain distant, even in perception. God himself declares it is not good for humanity to be alone, and even though humanity rebels against God, God becomes human and moves right into the neighborhood to be with humanity. God in his goodness would not leave us alone, and so God the Son, Jesus, comes to be with us in the flesh. Big basic Bible point number two is God is good. How does God declare and demonstrate his goodness? Incarnation, in the flesh, not a Zoom call, okay. not a virtual meetup, not a cardboard cutout taped to a bleacher seat in Dodger Stadium. That is not the way he does it. In the flesh, at the table, washing the feet. Touching the leper, the contagious one. Embracing the outcast. Literally, right? God comes so close to us, it's like he's going to smell like us when he's done. Here's the big idea for this morning. Christianity, by definition, is in the flesh. It's about real presence. The realities of Christ and Christian community are not virtual realities. Now, some of us may be able to work remotely, and that's fantastic. I'm so glad you can do that. Some of us are going to be able to be educated via the Internet. What a blessing that we have that option. Some don't. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. But the Christian church cannot be fully replicated online. It can't be because Christianity is incarnational. It is about a relationship with God and with others, this God who became flesh in order to extend love to creation, to others, to be with us. Of course the one true God comes in the flesh. Of course the one true God comes in the flesh because it is not good for the man to be alone and God is good. So of course he comes to address what is not good in the flesh. All right, finally. So what are you saying, <laughs> Nate? What are you suggesting to Christians who live in a world where almost everything we do is now either not happening or it's happening online? Friends, first, I'm simply trying to invite you to consider some basics this morning. Specifically, you were not made to be alone. Isolation is bad. It is not good for you. It's bad. And that you were made by the one true God who is good, who is motivated by good, and because he's motivated by good, he came to restore relationship between you and God and you and others. In other words, there are some things that are so core to what it means to being human, they cannot be replicated online. There may not always be a a substitute for the physical, for the real presence. So, to the practical, I think the whole thing's practical, but to the very specifically practical, 
when forces outside of our control severely restrict or limit our abilities to gather together, to play together, to go to school together, to work together. We who follow Christ must, with creativity and conviction, resist isolation and recapture the goodness of physical presence. We who follow Christ must, with creativity and conviction, resist isolation and recapture the goodness of physical presence. And this is going to take creativity. And this is going to require conviction. We cannot, and friends, this has taken me a long time to get here, and I'm barely in. I'm like my foot is barely across the door. But we cannot sit back and wait for things to go back to normal. Okay? Similarly, I don't think we move the ball forward relationally if we stubbornly refuse to admit what's actually going on. So we need to proactively and purposely find new ways or resurrect old ways to pull one another out of isolation. We need to eat with a few other people. Okay? We need to go on walks with a few other people. We need to invite a few other people over to our house for worship on Sundays. Okay, we need to share life with a few other people. That doesn't sound like new stuff to me. Maybe not, but in our present context, these basic community building practices require new resolve. Do they not? Okay, things that used to fortify your community are no longer things you can assume to be automatic. You don't, it is, what a luxury it was for several hundred people to show up at the same time in the same place every week. No wonder we felt like we were part of something that mattered and was connected and we were known and people knew us and we knew them. Because so many of the built-in structures which support our relationships are gone. Our relationships are not automatically sustained. This is going to require new resolve. It's going to require creativity. And it's going to re require a deep sense of conviction. And it's going to take some time. So here's what I want to in invite you to do today. Remember five months ago when you used to go to church? Everybody used to come to church. Remember that? That was awesome. We used to go to church. Okay, remember when you would come into this space, do you remember where you would sit most Sundays? Seating was different. Remember where you sit? Okay, now try to remember the people who sat near you. Can you picture them? Maybe you wouldn't see them the rest of the week, but you'd see them on Sundays. You would shake their hand during the passing of the peace. Maybe you'd give them a hug you started to get to know them a little bit because they were always the people that were sitting right behind you or right in front of you. Their kid annoyed you or whatever, right? You got them? You know who you're, got somebody in mind? I want to invite you to call them today, okay? Give them a call today. Sometime today after church, give them a call. Say, I was thinking about you. I was watching church this morning. Nate asked me to think who I was, and I was thinking about you. Thinking about you. How you doing? And then invite them over for a walk or some ice cream in your backyard. Or maybe invite them to come have church at your house next week. Friends, we can shout from the sidelines all day long about how ridiculous this is. 
Or we can shout from the other sideline all day long about how cavalier and careless and insensitive people are being. Or we can do what the faithful have done throughout history whenever the world has been wearied by the changes and chances of this life. We can get in the game. We can root our understanding in these basic biblical truths. And starting there, starting with these basic truths, we can navigate. We can navigate the changes and the chances of this life together. Together. I want to invite you to end this time with me by praying this prayer, which was the inspiration for this series. Let's pray this together. Be present, O merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life may rest in your eternal changelessness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless your people today. Fill homes and lives, relationships with peace. Remind us of what's true on a basic level. Grace us to move forward, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.